James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor man. Are not the witch the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you are called? If you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fears at one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me pray for us as we stand. Let me pray. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. We pray that that would be true for each one of us this morning. So we ask that as we open your word right now, you would help us to see more and more what putting you at the very center of our lives looks like in practice. We pray this. For your glory and our good. Amen. Please take a seat. And as you do so, let me ask you a question. Don't you just hate daft questions? Uh, Which may have irritated you already because that in itself is a somewhat daft and leading question, is it not? So let me clarify what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about questions like, why is the word abbreviation so long? Or, why can't you get mouse-flavored cat food? Or, if Barbie is so popular, why do you have to buy all her friends? No, I'm not talking about questions like that. I'm talking more about questions that are so blindingly obvious that they really don't even merit giving an answer to. I'm sure you know the kind of thing. They happen often in church Bible study groups, if you've been in those, if you're in our midweek groups. There's questions like, John the Baptist baptized people, didn't he? And then every eye in the room goes down. The floor suddenly becomes fascinating. They're just checking their shoelaces. Because nobody wants to be the first person to say, uh, yes, in case it's a trick question. Well, I have a very bad habit of asking obvious questions, as my poor old midweek group will testify to. And I'm nothing if not consistent, so this is this week's cracker. We are, as uh, Jonathan said, looking this morning at wealth and poverty. So let me ask you, would you rather be rich or poor? 
Now, that's a rhetorical question. Don't worry, I'm not going to kind of make you sit in silence before some brave soul actually puts up their hand. I mean, the obvious answer is rich. Of course, we'd rather be rich. I mean, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? But if that's the case, why is it that one of the Bible writers prays in Proverbs 30, verse 7 to 9, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Folks, many people think that to live well, you need to leave God behind with all the other kind of childhood fantasies like the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus. But the claim of the Bible is the exact opposite. The path to, to, to true wisdom, the path to, to living well is only found in relationship with God. You can't live well without him. You can't live well without respecting the fact that God is the creator and the Lord of this world and that we should therefore learn to see everything Everything in a God-centered way, including our attitude to wealth and those in poverty. Which is why our friend in Proverbs 30 shares his prayer with us. So that we will firstly recognize that God is the giver of everything. That's so often why we pray to him, isn't it? Because we know that he is the giver of all good things. And that's why the writer of Proverbs 30 asks God... To give him two things before he dies. It's a very short bucket list, and surprisingly, it doesn't include swim with dolphins or see the Grand Canyon. No, firstly, he asked that God would give him honesty. And secondly, he asked that he will experience neither poverty nor riches. You see, everything we have, it's a, it's a gift from God. Whether we are given wealth or not is entirely in his hands. And if we're to think Christianly about money, then that has to be the starting point. Now, I know that some of us here are currently in debt or struggling uh, in financial difficulty. I can say, if that is you, then please come and talk to us. There are people here in the church who can give great advice. And we've got sources of good advice elsewhere. And we really want to be able to help. But at least 80% of humanity live on less than $10 a day. And 10% of people in the world live on less than the, well, live below the World Bank poverty line of $1.90 a day. So compared to that, let's face it, most of us here today are rich by global standards. And if we have more than that we need to live on, we have to recognize that 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 is all from the Lord. He's blessed us with it. it. It's not mine. It just happens to be temporarily in my hands. And if I'm tempted to say, but hold on, I've earned that money. So it's my money. Well, the Bible would ask us, yeah, but who gave you those gifts and abilities to do the work that you do? And who put you in that situation where those gifts and abilities were, were nurtured and encouraged and developed? And who in his sovereign rule 
managed to get you appointed to that job that earns you the money. Whatever we earn, whatever we're given, whatever we inherit, it's actually not ours. It's God's in the first place. And whether he's given us much or little or somewhere in between, we need to be thankful to him for that. And the Bible teaches us that it's all been given to us for God's purposes. I mean, everything has a purpose, doesn't it? Uh, like, as a wedding gift, uh, my wife and I, we were given this thing here. In fact, we, could, we couldn't figure out what exactly it was at the time of our wedding. Uh, so we wrote a little note to the giver saying, thank you so much for the uh, sculpture. Um, and sadly... That note was well and truly off into the post by the time my mother, mother-in-law pitched up and took the sculpture in her hands, turned it over, and read on the bottom, wood and chrome banana tree, suitable for large bunches of bananas. You see, the creator of that banana tree intended for bananas to hang on it so that their delicate, the delicate fruit would not be bruised and it would be kept fresh. And God is creator and the giver of all material things, not least money, blesses us with them for a purpose. And if, and now now that purpose is to provide for our daily needs. In fact, that's the overriding principle behind this prayer in Proverbs 30, isn't it? Verse 8 is to seek from God what we need, not everything we want. So one of the challenges that we face when it comes to using God's gifts well is to distinguish what our needs are from what is luxury. Now that isn't to rule out uh, saving for future needs, and nor is it to rule out uh, some luxuries and enjoyments. God gives us everything for, 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 for our pleasure and, and his glory. But we need to manage our use of money with what I fear is a seldom used question. Do I need this? Do we need this? Otherwise, we'll spend thoughtlessly rather than thankfully. And we will live lavishly rather than carefully. And the more we spend, the less we will have to share and give. Which is one of the other great purposes behind God's gifts to us. As he wants us to take use of any advantage we have, any advantage, not least money, to meet the needs of those less well-off than us. Essentially, he wants us to become generous givers, just like he is. So, recognize that God is the giver of everything. And then secondly, recognize the dangers of wealth. Because there's a danger in wealth, isn't there? And the danger is that we might forget God. The writer of Proverbs sees this only too well. Give me neither poverty nor riches, he says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Folks, wealth can be a great blessing. The accumulation of wealth is never discouraged in the Bible. In fact, if anything, it's actively encouraged. Uh, Productivity is encouraged from the word go in the Bible as Adam and Eve are put in the garden to be gardeners. And so they take natural resources and they cultivate it and they're productive with it. But our sinful hearts 
are such that wealth can still be a great danger to us. So one of the most, most misquoted Bible verses there is is 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Maybe you know it. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, the Bible doesn't say that money is evil. It is the love of it that is the root of the tree that grows in our life and produces all kinds of evil. Money is a good gift from God, remember. It is a good thing. But we turn it into a God thing. As money easily becomes the focus of our life rather than God. For it can do many great things for us, money can. So Christians speak of the Trinity, don't we? We speak of God the Father, who is the creator and made everything. We speak of Jesus, the Son, who saves me from sin on the cross. And we speak of God the Holy Spirit, who is my comforter, who, who brings the incredible presence of Christ to me supernaturally. Now, I can't explain the Trinity fully here today, this morning. That is a uh, subject for a different sermon. But it's obvious to say that money is treated by millions today as our creator, our savior, our comforter. We treat it as God. So money can be seen as our creator. We speak of self-made men, don't we? As if these people were kind of nothings and nobodies before they made their dosh, but now they are somebody. And money can be our savior. I have a friend who's failing really badly as a father. He, he knows it, he acknowledges it, he, he admits it, but he thinks that he can win his children over by giving them everything he, they want, by buying them anything. And money can be our comforter too. We, we talk about retail therapy or comfort shopping, don't we? Do you see, money can so easily be the, become the place that I put my confidence instead of God. And we easily think, find ourselves thinking, as, as, as Proverbs 30 warns us, who is the Lord? I mean, why do I need him? You know, I've got my money in my bank. It's, in, it's there in the account. I'm, I'll be okay. I'm, I'm fine without him. Money often has a spiritual negative, a negative spiritual power. So if we're making it, if we're using it, if we're around it, then we've got to learn to put walls around it to protect us from it. We've got to be very careful with it. That's what we're being warned here. Otherwise, we will drift away from God and worship it. And then money starts to make us do things that we don't want to do or become people that we don't want to be. Like being unwilling to speak out against corruption or or injustices at work because we're worried that that might actually put our job on the line and threaten our financial stability, therefore. Or taking a promotion for more money and, and more status, even though it will take us away during the week, away from our family and, and other church commitments that are so, so important and helpful for us too. Or cutting corners with our finances. We can be so tempted to do that as well, to just add a little bit extra into the expenses because, you know, I deserve it. Or, or to pay the workman cash in hand because that saves me and him from having to pay the tax on it. The more we let money creep in and become all important, the more it takes God's place in so much of our decision making. And we forget God. 
and we therefore lose our moral compass. And the further we move away from him, like those people in, in that, that reading Dan gave us so brilliantly from Isaiah 58, when God's people move away from him, we move away from what is right and fair and just. So let me ask you, what is the driving force, the primary driving force for your decision making? Is it money? Or is it God? Folks, the writer of Proverbs 30 prays for neither poverty nor riches. Because it's better to deny wealth than be wealthy and deny God. Because then, we'll never take on board this third thing I want to highlight for you, which is that we need to recognize the responsibility those with wealth have to care for the poor and the vulnerable. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the first of the Spider-Man films, but uh, I think it was Uncle, uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man's Uncle Ben, who famously said to him, with great responsibility. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> Why don't I just read it, actually? <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. He said it just like that. It's almost like we're watching the film. But it was actually Jesus who first made that point when he said in Luke 12, verse 48, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. That is a theme that runs through the Bible, like letters through a stick of rock. Over and over again, in any blessing or privilege given to God's people, is given not merely so that we can meet our own needs, but so that we take responsibility to meet the needs of those less well-off than us. It is God's desire to care for the poor through us. So here are three challenges from Proverbs, more wisdom from God, to help, us create, a, to help to create in us a heart of compassion for those in desperate need. Here's number one. Open your eyes to the needs of the poor. Listen to Proverbs 28, verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. The implication in those words is that the first step to opening our hearts to the poor is by opening our eyes to the poor. We need to resist the temptation to look away. We need to be willing to look into the faces of the, the suffering and the broken. Now, that's quite intimidating, isn't it? I mean, help! Where on earth do we start? There is just so much need. It's so easy to be overwhelmed by that. But once again, God's word isn't lacking in wisdom. It's so realistic as Proverbs 3, verse 27, tells us challenge number two. Don't try to help everyone. Just try to help someone. It says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later. I'll give it to you tomorrow. When you have it with you. The place to start isn't caring for everyone. It is caring for someone. Someone on our doorstep, our neighbor, the Bible says. And I think it's worth saying that a good deal of folks at this church care for those less well-off neighbors every day through their work as doctors, nurses, carers, uh, social workers. Apologies to you if I have left you out of that list. But be the best you possibly can at that as it is a form of giving and caring 
for the poor that is often greatly un unappreciated. But most of us regularly meet people clearly in need regardless of our work. Whether it's the homeless guy that we walk past on our way into town or down Northumberland Street, or the recently released prisoner who pitches up on our doorstep to sell us their wares, or some of our refugee friends who we've met through this church. How can we help? Are we willing to get our hands dirty and find out? Which I guess in the first instance is just by talking to them and asking them, how can I help? And as we do that, we can follow Proverbs 3, verse 27's guideline and triage folk like they do at the A&E in hospital, asking, do they deserve help? Is this a genuine need? And do I have power to help? Have I got the resources to help now? We won't always be able to discern what needs are genuine, or, or whether we do have the resources to step out in faith and, and help. So can I just say that even though we worry about getting taken for a ride or, or, or it being too costly, it seems to me that the nature of generosity is to take risks, just as God himself has done with us in his dealings with us. So the final challenge I want to mention is trust that God will give you the resources to make a significant contribution to take care for the needs of the poor. <laughs> Folks, it's one thing to uh, react spontaneously to someone we meet or, or to give uh, to a one-off opportunity or appeal. But I think God is calling us to do more than that, to be more intentional than that, to commit to what a friend of mine calls significant somethings. I mean, we can't do everything, so let's not be overwhelmed by a world of need. Instead, let's commit ourselves to make a significant contribution to care for the needs of the poor in one way or another. Now, that could be committing to be part of the team that works with Richard Malin in our CAP debt center uh, that Joanna prayed about earlier on. Well, then again, it could be volunteering to help with Safe Families for Children, who do a brilliant job in providing respite care for families struggling to cope with the pressures of life and have been torn apart by that. Or it might be that we're willing to pray and give to one of our long-term mission partners in the work they're doing, like Navajivna uh, Healthcare Center, which was set up uh, to uh, meet the need of affordable healthcare in Sri Lanka over 50 years ago and is still just as needed now as it was then. Or Nokopila School, educating children infected or affected by AIDS from a township on the edge of Johannesburg. Or Revive International, working with street girls in Brazil. Or what about Anglican International Development? I'm not going to say anything about them. We're looking, and we're hearing a bit more about them at that prayer meeting on Wednesday. Please come, hear a bit more about that. If you're looking for some significant somethings to be part of, then you could start by investigating which one you could invest in, in this Serving the World leaflet that you'll find on the display racks around the church. But however we respond to God's heart for the poor, it's simply no option to go away unchanged by his word. I say I find it so hard to write this sermon this week 
Uh, not just because, as usual, there's been so many other things uh, going on, but because it is so challenging to actually read through the Bible. I've only given you little glimpses of that. I apologize for that. There's just so much more that can be said. But I've given you little glimpses, and, and as I've got them, I've had to face up to my own greed, my own sense of entitlement, of wanting what others have, and my unwillingness to pray a prayer like Proverbs 30, verse 8, and say, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Just give me what I need. But I need, we all need, to see our wealth as God's wealth. And my needy neighbor as my responsibility. And I need to trust that as I step out to be more generous to others, he will need, meet my needs and give me what I need. Which is why I'll end with one last dip into Proverbs and say that if we are worried about meeting the needs of the poor and how that might leave us vulnerable financially, then take hold of the promise of Proverbs 3, verse 9, which says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Folks, we can trust that as we give wealth away, God will keep giving to us. That's a promise time and time again in the Bible. Not so that we can just meet our needs and and live in luxury, but so that we can meet others. God loves to put money into the hands of the generous so they can care for others.